he is none other than Frank Viola. Definitely thrilled to have him here on the Keeping It Real podcast, which is the podcast that has real answers for life issues by proclaiming Christ. And it's going to be energizing for me to hear your responses to some of these myths that I've been um, you know, able to establish. There's seven of them all together. Myth number one says, myth number one, can you explain the myth of Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and the apostle Paul preached the gospel of grace? Yes, that is a very common myth. And just so listeners know, in order to build up, you've got to tear down first. Hmm. or else people simply filter what you say through their preconceived notions. And a lot of these myths are long-held traditional assumptions about the kingdom of God that simply are not true, or they're piecemeal, right? They take a, an aspect of truth and then blow it up to be something that turns out to be false. But in order for us to have a radically new way of viewing the kingdom of God, which I seek to do in the book Insurgents, and also how to experience, enjoy, demonstrate, and advance it, we've got to tip over a few sacred cows. And this is one of them. Mm. The idea that says Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom only and Paul preached the gospel of grace only is not tenable. The New Testament simply will not sustain it. Jesus preached both the kingdom of God and he preached the grace of God. And so did Paul of Tarsus. I'll just give a few examples of Paul preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There are more if you look at the book of Acts, beginning with chapter 14 on to chapter 28. You'll see more instances of it. But Acts 19, verse 8, for example. And Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning not the grace of God, but the kingdom of God. Mm. Acts 20, verse 25. And now behold, I, Paul, know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Preaching the kingdom of God. That's Paul. Another passage, Acts 28, verse 23. Paul went into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. And then Acts 28, verse 31, Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very clear that one of the messages that Paul had, it was his chief message, was the gospel of the kingdom. Interestingly, though, it's also called the gospel of grace. And by the same token, Jesus Christ not only preached the kingdom, and he certainly did, <laughs> uh, you find him throughout the pages of the Gospels proclaiming and declaring the kingdom of God, but he also preached and taught and even embodied grace, the grace of God. For sure. John, yeah. yeah, exactly. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I make this whole argument, and I give many, many scriptures to support it in the book Insurgents, if people want to take a look at that. But if you examine the message of both Jesus and Paul carefully and you leave nothing out, you will discover they preach the same message. Repent and believe. Give your believing allegiance to Jesus, the true Lord, the true King, 
and you will be saved by God's grace. So we enter the kingdom by grace, we press into its riches by grace, and we inherit it by grace. But the kingdom was preached by both Jesus and Paul, and I will say also the rest of the apostles and even the evangelist Philip in Acts 8, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. About that. Well, appreciate that, Frank. And you mentioned, you know, we got to tip over some sacred cows. You really zero in on uh, tradition and traditions that people have held on to unquestionably uh, for centuries, really. And um, it's so refreshing to hear uh, this, not just a perspective, but just really a biblical way of looking at the kingdom of God. So appreciate you dissecting myth number one. Now, here comes myth number two. Okay, mm -hmm. kingdom myth number two. The gospel of the kingdom was for the Jews, and the gospel of grace is for the Gentiles. Can you unravel that one? Yeah, I would love to. This is a myth that, in my mind, is one of the most destructive doctrines in history. Hmm. It's fairly new. It began in the 19th century with the Plymouth Brethren, who taught a hyper form of dispensationalism. Now, the Plymouth Brethren were incredible Bible expositors, mm -hmm. and C.I. Schofield was one of them. He published the famous Schofield Study Bible in 1909. And that Bible was used at Moody Bible Institute, spread all throughout the evangelical schools in America. Consequently, the doctrine is still with us today. And this is one area that I have great differences with the Plymouth Brethren over because it's diluted and watered down the cutting edge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's done it this way. By saying the gospel of the kingdom was for Jews and the gospel of grace is for Gentiles, they made this distinction between being a convert and being a disciple. Being mm -hmm. a convert, being a Christian was mandatory, mm -hmm. right, to be saved, but being a disciple was optional. Oh, so you I? can believe, you can believe in Jesus, that's mandatory to receive eternal life, but you don't have to follow Jesus, that's optional, right? Not all Christians are disciples, so goes the teaching. And that teaching just cannot be squared with the New Testament, not when you look at it as a whole, not when you look at it in chronological order, not when you read all of what Paul had to say, all of what Jesus had to say, you will find that the gospel of the kingdom was preached to both the Jew and the Gentile. Mm -hmm. The same is true for the gospel of grace, because they're the same gospel. They're just different sides of that same gospel. It's like a coin. And the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace are to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. It's not to the Jew, one of them, and to the Gentile, the other. But it's totally <laughs> different. Right, right. Yeah, the whole message is both to Jew and Gentile. And that's good news. It's good news to the Gentile, of which I are, <laughs> and it's good news to the Jew. And the gospel of the kingdom promises to set you free from the bondage of the law, religious obligation and condemnation, the condemnation of the law, as well as from the bondages to the flesh, mm -hmm. right? It yeah. does both. And it is one high octane gospel. And this business of, well, one was for the Jew and the other for the Gentile is simply not valid. Now I'll bring up another kingdom myth, Frank. And 
This one might have some overlap with that prior one that you just expounded upon, but uh, there's also some distinction here. So I'll be curious to hear how you're going to respond to this myth. The kingdom of God is the equivalent of heaven. Boy, I think if you were to poll every person who professed to be a Christian on the planet, and you ask them to define the kingdom of God, the majority, hands down, would say it's heaven. Yeah, that's a high That's a high number. Yeah. They would definitely. I mean, that's the prevailing view. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The kingdom, if you look at all of the references to the kingdom, and by the way, over on the Insurgents podcast, we are going through every reference to the kingdom of God in the Gospels in chronological order, Ollie. And then after we're done with that, we're going to go through every reference to the kingdom chronologically in the book of Acts and the epistles all the way to Revelation. Yeah. And I tell and, you what, if I could jump in here real quick, Frank, because I've listened to all 120 episodes of that. Oh, one. actually, there are a number of the episodes that are so riveting that I had to listen to them more than once. I've actually saved them, downloaded some of the episodes that were the most impactful for me. But I mentioned that primarily for those that may be listening, because if you have not subscribed to the Insurgents podcast, I greatly encourage you to do that because it is not just Frank giving lectures or sermons on what he believes the kingdom of God to be for 40 minutes a pop. You have conversation partners on there, and that adds a lot of spice, <laughs> to the content of that podcast and expounding on these principles. But at any rate, pick it back up, if you will, on this myth of the kingdom of God being the same as heaven. Yeah, it just cannot be sustained biblically. What you find when you look at every reference to the kingdom in both the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the Epistles, all the way through Revelation, you find that the kingdom is already, but it's not yet. Mm, right. The kingdom is present, but it's also future. The kingdom is today, but it's also tomorrow. We live between the two ages. Yes. And in effect, that's why the kingdom is here right now. and We can enjoy it, mm -hmm. but not in its fullness. And so the idea that says the kingdom is the equivalent of heaven is unbiblical, and it's a misguided line of thinking. It only takes certain passages weaves them together out of context most of the time, and then says it's all future. And it simply is not. The fact of the matter is, what the New Testament does is it presents the kingdom in three aspects. First, the king. Jesus embodies the kingdom. Nice. Second, a people who are ruled by the king. That's the community of the king, the ecclesia. And third, the king's rulership itself, his reign, the rule of Jesus Christ. All those aspects are what the kingdom of God is, although those have to be expanded <laughs> to really get the force of them and understand them. But all those aspects have a present dimension, all right? And the kingdom is here now. It's available to God's people. We can enter into the age of the future in the present time. We foretaste the powers of the age to come, as Hebrews puts it. And I'll add this too. Heaven, if we if we just look at this, and this is a whole nother topic and discussion, but heaven is not the destination of the believer in Christ. Heaven is actually going to come to earth. We see this clearly 
in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. The new Jerusalem is descending out of the heavens onto the earth, and our destination is a new heaven and a new earth, all right? And earth is going to be renewed and restored. The old earth is going to burn up, the surface of the earth is going to burn up, and a new heaven and a new earth, as was prophesied in the Old Testament and as revealed in the New Testament, particularly the book of Peter, Second Peter, and Revelation, that's our destiny, Heaven is headed toward earth, but we can enter into the life of heaven. We can enter into that new creation right now. And a lot of what the book Insurgents does is it presents not only that this is true, makes a case for it scripturally, but gives examples of how it can be true and shows how we can enter into the good of it practically. Yeah. And as speaking as somebody who uh, was a part of various traditions and institutional church circles, uh, a, a very popular belief system or the lack of a better word, theology is that, you know, let's just get them saved, right? Let's just get people saved. And that way we know for sure they're going to go to heaven one day. Um, certainly it's great um, when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior. Absolutely. And they come that's to, the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's the, the beginning. beginning. Right. They get to be saved, but that is just the beginning. It doesn't stop there. So I appreciate you unpacking that. All right, let's move on to myth number four. Kingdom myth number four. Christians are called to build the kingdom and make the world a better place. Yeah, this is a biggie. Um, well, there's a lot of nuance here. Many of my readers, not all, certainly not all, but many of my readers are in their 20s and 30s. And in that age group, and I'm not speaking of my readers because the people who listen to my podcasts and, and read the books, they've had a paradigm shift in this area. But you take the typical young person, many of them have been captured by a vision to improve the world, to make it a better place. And what tends to happen is, unless they have a revelation of some nuance on that, biblically speaking, or just simply living life. And, and as they get older, most of them realize that the vision of making the world a better place was mostly informed by youthful idealism. And while there may have been some progress made, and I think every generation makes some progress, some <laughs> some generations regress. Yeah. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, it's really a dent, Okay. The problems of injustice, the problems of oppression, problems of racism, the problems of sexism, the problems of hatred, the problems of violence, the problems of war mm. have been with us, brother, since the fall. I mean, the first child ever right. to break the womb of a woman was a murderer. OK, <laughs> this goes way back. And these problems will always be with us until. The true king returns, splits the heavens, and sets all things right, which is one of the promises of the New Testament. But that's not heaven. That's on earth, mm. all right? Restoring all things, the restoration of all things, as the phrase is put in Acts chapter 3. Now, while there have been improvements to society, and I'm all for that, few, if any of them, have brought Jesus Christ into unmistakable prominence. You can look at some of the movements that have uh, won the rights of certain people. And those are great. I applaud all of them. Sure. But very few of them, when we talk about them, Jesus Christ is the outstanding 
centrality of that particular movement. In fact, a lot of those movements were done apart from Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom message is not about building the kingdom. It's one of manifesting the kingdom by being an alternative to the world system. The world system is doomed, and that's another conversation, and I talk about it in the book. What is the world system? Love not the world. Come out of the world, etc. It's an alternative civilization to the world system. And what the kingdom of God does on earth is it demonstrates the grace, the glory of the king to a lost society. And when people behold the kingdom of God in action in a community of believers who are enthroning the king, guess what? They see the problem of injustice solved. Yeah. They see the problem of oppression resolved. They see racism, sexism, hatred, violence, war resolved. Because in the ecclesia, when she is functioning properly, all right, I'm talking about a kingdom community of real flesh and blood human beings who are enthroned in Christ, living by his life, all these things go out the window. And you have, as Paul put it, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. They're all one in Christ. There is no male or female. They're all part of the family of God on equal footing. And instead of trying to make the world a better place, which cannot be done in fullness, not even close to it, the ecclesia, the kingdom community, Ali, is to be the better place mm, yeah. in a fallen world. Yeah. as a demonstration of what the future is going to look like. And that's what is to spread. That's what is to be seen and demonstrated. So the one who builds the kingdom is God. God builds the kingdom. We labor with him in that work. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a beautiful passage. I'll read it to our listeners. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters... Stand firm, Paul is speaking. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in this life will not be in vain. And in some way, what we do for the Lord by his life, all right, not in our own natural power and energy, and that's another conversation, but by his own life, what he enables us to do. Uh, what he energizes by his spirit, will go into the future kingdom. We're not building the kingdom, we're building for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Just like if I prepare an omelet by slicing the onions and the tomatoes and chopping up the garlic and mixing the eggs with the milk, but then I hand it over to someone else, the chef, the great chef, and I say, I've, I've prepared all these different parts. Then the great chef takes them all puts them together, and makes the omelet. That's what God does. Yeah. We build for the kingdom, but only he builds the kingdom. And there is a great author named E. Stanley Jones. He's no longer living, but he made this statement. And, and this is interesting coming from him because he was a Methodist. And a lot of the mainline churches today and in the past are all about building the kingdom on earth, trying to make the world a better place. Well, this is what Jones said. Quote, in the New Testament, we're told to see enter, proclaim, and suffer for the kingdom, but never to build it. We can't build it. Only the Lord builds the house. Only the Lord builds the kingdom, but we can build toward it. And part of that is by being in a community of other believers who follow Jesus, learn to live by his life together, 
And that's how we demonstrate the kingdom. And that is the better place in a fallen world. Rather than trying to make the world a better place, especially by trying to pull the political levers (laughs) of the world system, uh, which I address in the book. We are living out what a community of human beings looks like where there is no oppression, injustice, sexism, racism, violence, you name it. And that is the testimony to principalities and powers, as well as to the surrounding neighbors and the world itself, that Jesus Christ is king, and this is what his kingdom looks like, and one day it is going to fill the earth. Yeah, and I tell you what, Frank, one of the things that I love so much about your book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, is how you contrast what the kingdom of God looks like, and you just described that, you know, in in the context of an ecclesia, which means is in the Greek uh, for assembly or a gathering. And you contrast that with the worldly systems that we are so familiar with, but yet run deep in, in our veins so much of the time. And we, a lot of times, maybe involuntarily, but it's just there. And But yet you contrast that in such a great way and you contrast the kingdom of God with other gospels in the name of religiosity that have taken such great precedence in the lives of people, yeah. and that being the gospel of legalism and the gospel of libertinism. And so yeah. your approach to this is spot on and it's so fresh and it gives people a path to freedom. You know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty mm-hmm. or freedom. And that's what I love so much in your book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's what I love so much in the Insurgents podcast and listening to that. One of your conversation partners on there. It's had this effect, the book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, uh, to my gratefulness and joy, has had the effect of really giving people a paradigm shift in this whole area. Because it's not just words when we say we're called not to build the kingdom. We're called to demonstrate it. We're called to reveal it. We're called to live in it. We're called to experience it. We're called to display it. You know, And God is the one that builds his kingdom, and he's eventually going to bring heaven to earth. And there is a connection between how we as God's people live our lives individually and together collectively in these ecclesias, these assemblies, and the hastening of the Lord's coming. And Peter talks about this, hastening the Lord's coming. So there is a connection. Mm. And of course, the bride making herself ready, et cetera, et cetera. And that concludes part one of my interview with Frank Viola on his book insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom i greatly encourage you to check out part two of my incredible interview with frank on the next episode hey guys this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways i have created a bundle of free resources this would include my other podcasts the youtube channel several free ebooks free seminars and other free resources and you can find all of that at frankviola.com and if you go to frankviola.com you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff 
you just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much and God bless.